brilliant. Okay. So what I thought I'd do is I'd just do a quick recap on session one, very, very quickly, just to make sure that we've got the context of well-being, okay? So we'll go straight into it. Has everyone got notes, either on phone, on screen, or in hand? Yes? Good. Some of the things that we talked about in session one, we talked about well-being being holistic, which basically means it affects more than one part of you. Um, we talked about it being dynamic, i.e. there's lots of different things that work together to produce your well-being, okay? Not just one thing. So it's not just how you feel, but how you act or how you're going on life, how you relate to people. There's lots of things that can affect your well-being. And well-being is active, New point, new point. Note that one down, underline it. Might not be in your previous notes. Uh, in Luke 2.52, it says, And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favour with God and man. Basically, this is Jesus' holistic growth, okay? So his mind grew. He developed. He was well in his mind. He was well in his body. He was well in his faith, and relationship with God, and he was well socially. N new point, new point, new point, okay? The word grew, the word grew in the Greek is a verb. Now, I looked it up because I thought it was going to say, and Jesus flourished. He bloomed as a flower in mind, body, faith, and socially. Uh-uh. The word grew means, the word grew in Greek means to lengthen metal by beating it. Right? Okay, that's what this word, this word is referring to actively beating. And the thing that I need you to understand is we don't always like what the Bible says, but it's really important to know what the Bible is saying. What the Bible is saying is this. Jesus actively grew his mind. He actively grew his body and his physical well-being. He, he actively developed himself spiritually so that he was well spiritually. He actively developed himself socially. Do you understand? So that word grow isn't a fruit it's a verb. It's a doing word. And we have already said that some of you guys are trying to find your fight word for this year. And for me, well-being is my fight. It is worth fighting for. And actually, when you understand that Jesus didn't just passively grow, he had to apply himself. We have to apply ourselves to well-being. Yeah? So James 1, 23 to 25 is awesome. Right, so we've done relationship with self. We've done relationship with God. This week is all about my relationship with others, okay? So that's great, isn't it? I've probably got some extroverts that are going, yeah, this is going to be great. I can learn how to be a better friend. Then you've got the introverts going, oh, no, she's going to make me talk to somebody. Ugh. I understand that everybody is different. I totally get that. But the principles that I'm going to bring tonight should transcend introvert, extrovert, friendly, unfriendly, all right? Because they're principles. So you have to apply them to how you work, 
basically, all right? So you're not all going to be Lisa Williams. Hiya, welcome! It's lovely to see you! And she means it, okay? Um, you may be a little bit more, you know, quieter about it. So what we'll do, we'll get the ball rolling. I'll get you guys moving. Um, get into your groups of two or three or however. And I, I asked you the question, if you read your... Um, hey, thanks for booking in, I asked three questions, and one of them was, what is my definition of a good friend, or what is my definition of a close friend? So just get your twos and threes, have a couple of minutes on that, and then we'll get back into the teaching. Who's got something that they, who, who wants to give their definition of a good friend? Someone who's respectful towards you, someone who can kick your butt when you need it, and someone, you know, you can be accountable to them and they can be accountable to you, and it's like, I know, a dual leadership thing of they can lead you, but you can lead them. Get yourself up here, mate. You're the preacher tonight. <laughs> <laughs> that, was, that was amazing, wasn't it? I'm joking. Sit back down. You can outshine me. God. Ali. What? Oh, isn't it bad when the young and say better than you do, right? Okay. Um, another one? Another uh, one? Abby, another one? Abby was here. Abby Jarvis. I mean, my friend put my arm up for me, so... Um, yeah, Don't tell I, us that, baby. I, <laughs> Letting down the family. Just sorry, sorry, sorry. Uh, make it look like it was your choice, child. The Lord told me... Um, no, uh... <laughs> <laughs> Okay, um, so I think a close friendship is understanding one another, so almost like, you know, your love language and stuff, so understanding how people love in a different way and sort of working that out between, because, like, a friendship's never going to be perfect, but it can only work if you go through struggles and you go through that and choose to go, like, power through that and understand one another through it. Like, love that. That's amazing. That's a really good. Anyone else? Come on, you, you little lot. Don't be outdone by the right youth. The youth are Mandy. bossing it at the moment. The person who comes round and you don't care whether your house is tidy or not. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> Absolutely. I've been round her house many times and thought, does, does this woman never tidy up? Like, it's minging. <laughs> someone, someone who has fridge rights. So you fridge can go rights. to your fridge. Fridge rights are good. Louise, explain fridge rights. What are fridge rights? It uh, means you can just walk in and go in someone's fridge and take whatever you want from it. Yeah. <laughs> I do that in Louise's fridge because I have expensive stuff. Right, okay. Anyone uh, else? Somebody from over here, give us your definition. Come on. Someone you can totally trust with absolutely anything yeah. and you know that they'll give you the total honest, honest answer and feedback. Love that. Absolutely. So good. That's well, um, brilliant. Just over here on the second row, n n nameless Jess. Um, so someone that you can uh, pass wind in front of and don't mind. <laughs> Jess, you promised you wouldn't tell anybody about my wind problem. Well out of order. Competition time later. Right. Okay. Awesome. Okay. Ow. <laughs> Some great definitions there. All right, then. So, um... There is a beautiful old African saying that says this, I am because we are, okay? I am because we are. And it basically means this. It means meaning and fulfillment and the very essence of who we are is found in our relationship with others. Now, Africa, like India, like Asia are collectivist cultures. It means they're not individualistic. The individual opinion doesn't rule the roost in the East. 
It's about collectivism, doing things together, everybody bringing something to the party, everybody bringing something to the table. Tasks are shared and goals are common. There wouldn't be any point in a collectivist culture, uh, one person saying, I'm not going to do that. It's just unheard of. Everybody has this common purpose where they pitch in and get things done. Villages bring up kids. You look after all the kids that are outside your house, feeding them, disciplining them, teaching them. And then if they're around somebody else's house, go on, go on. I say, go on, Jack and Abby, go and, go and stand outside someone else's house for a bit. It's great. Really capitalise on the collectivist culture. Two things I want you to note about this. Number one, the Eastern Hemisphere are absolutely bossing it, and we are not. We live in a Western, individualistic society. It's about what I want. I have my own rights to be exactly what I want, irrespective of you. Problem. There is less depression and mental health issues in collectivist cultures. Number two, the church is growing exponentially in collectivist cultures. So there's something about this collectivism that we have to tap into. Is it what the Bible says? Well, let's see. Science is also ahead of the Western church. Western science is also ahead of the church in dealing with well-being and togetherness. The Mental Health Foundation, I'm going to send you, in your notes, I'm going to send you a link to the short form of this report and the long form of this report. And it's called Relationships in the 21st Century. It was done in 2016. This report is as a result of, oh, hang on, I'll tell you by the amount of references, just so that you know. It cites 220 studies to form their facts. 220 studies of people to form their facts. We believe both as a society and as individuals, we need to urgently prioritise relationships and tackle the barriers to forming them. Okay? So why do I say that science is even ahead of us as a church? The, the East is definitely ahead of the Western church. Okay? They're, they're into something. Okay? Their health is better. Their churches are growing. Science is saying we have to seriously prioritise this. Yeah, I think as churches, we sort of take or leave it. You know, Sundays, we're with people, aren't we? Nice group, nice crowd of people. Not lonely, you've been a big group of people, aren't you? Well, you know, surely that's collectivist, isn't it? Or worshipping the same God. It's really, is that close friendship? Is that? Is that everybody bringing something to the table, sharing common goals? Is it? Or are we self-serving, where we come in, we get our own individual dose of God, and then we go home, and nobody may know. Nobody might know anything else, and we may not even see everybody else until the following Sunday. So we have to look at this. We really do. It's the key to our well-being and the key to the churches. So let's have a look at the biblical base. Now, for those of you that were here for my Christmas message on one another, some of this is a repeat, okay? But you've got it in the notes, and I'll try and go through it so that you understand. Genesis 1, 
26 says, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. God said, us and our. This was the first glimpse of the Trinity having a conversation. God's internal conversation with themselves. You see, God was the first one another. God is designed in three parts. The three are one. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And you see right at the beginning, God's design is he's a one another God. God is community. He is community. Not he wants community. And we are made in his likeness. Therefore, God is one another. And we are are in his likeness, we are one another. We are designed to be community beings, to converse with ourselves, but to exist as a collective. So it's important that we get that. Our identity and our purpose is one another. Okay, made like God and for God. Um, and then we get this. We go to Genesis two seventeen, and so God has made man. Da, 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 da. Man's thinking, I look so good. I am good. And then God goes, Oh my goodness, it's not good. And man's going like, Are you having a laugh? Like I'm not even a woman, and I think I'm looking pretty good. Like because if it was a woman he'd made first, she'd be like, Oh, am I all right? Am I looking okay? <laughs> good. Does my hair go with that tree? Really good. Um, but he made. He made man. And while man was loving what he'd been made, God said this, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. God was saying, oh no, I've made this one being in my community likeness it is not good that he's one he's got no one to do life with god has father son holy spirit they do life they make life together man has no one to do life with so he made woman and the one became two man and woman who together this is beautiful become one so John Andrews so eloquently taught on the one becoming the two becoming the one in his lovely lilt. Um, but it's true. So what that basically means is together we represent the whole nature of God. Together. And, and, and that's what's beautiful. When, and when, what do I mean by we become one? Well, when we get married, it says the two become one. Okay, but that doesn't mean that you're all walking around going, I'm only half of God. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. But it does say it's not good for man to be alone. <laughs> only represent half of him. Well, actually, we do. I do. As a woman, I only represent the, uh, the female um, facets of God. And Simon, a male, all male, represents the male qualities of God. And when we get together, 
and I'm not going to say how, we join as one. Body, soul, mind and spirit, all right? Various ways, various ways, not just that way. We reflect the wholeness of God. I'll let you get all that out of your system before I carry on. Do you understand you are designed a one another being? Your meaning and well-being exists when you do life in community. That best represents the way God's made you. And his purpose for you is to do life with others. Yeah? You can understand how, by having to do life with others, we must be healthy, otherwise we're going to wreck people. Because suddenly, how we are matters. Because if I have to do... See, if I, if I bolt myself off in my room and just pray, who cares if I'm angry? Who cares if I'm depressed? Who cares if I'm envious or bitter? No one's going to see it. But God says, no, you need to be having life with others. Therefore, how you are will affect them. It's really important. That's why that beautiful uh, balance of relationship with God, relationship with self, relationship with others is our well-being model. So then we skip to the Old Testament logic and we go into Ecclesiastes and it says this. It continues God's thought that it's not good for man to be alone. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labour. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one, no one, just linger on that, no one, to pick them up or help them up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, Two can defend themselves, and a cord of three strands is not quickly broken. I just want to explain a little bit about that, okay? So the writer in Ecclesiastes was dealing with how we cope with life. Life is described from an ecclesiastical um, perspective as hevel. Not heavy or hell. Hevel. And what it basically describes is like thick smoke, okay, a vapour, so it's fleeting, it's, it's, it's unpredictable, it's, it's almost like a mirage, but it, it can, you can't quite see through, it's not quite tangible, it can be like an enigma, and, and you can, and I sometimes feel like, I think, blinking heck, life's so complex, that word coping with life, like, I think we all have to cope with life sometimes, and the Bible's saying, yeah, that is what life's like, that is what life's like. So, um, this scripture is a, uh, a way of coping well or keeping well in a life that feels like thick smoke. Two are better than one. If one falls down, if I fail, mess up, miss it, preach a dud tonight, I know that there will be people that love me that will help me up from that. Not tonight, when it's all full of compliments, but tomorrow morning when I go, I'm going to give myself a two for that. I feel really, I don't feel I hit it. There will be people that will pick me up, and I need that, okay? First tactic of the enemy is to isolate you. Because then when you fall, there ain't nobody there, and he'll tell you there's nobody that will do it for you. 
Life with each other is warm. To lie down and keep warm. It's a cold life when you're on your own, when there's no warmth and you've only got yourself to keep yourself buoyant, keep yourself going. That's why isolation and loneliness is killing more people than, than so many other things because it's a cold way of living. There's no warmth in it. And living together gives you strength. And then we have this uh, accord of three strands. Now, the beautiful thing, this scripture is often used in marriages. I think I've said to you before, it's often used, you know, oh, it's beautiful. We've got two are better than one, man and woman. And then Jesus is the third cord, you know, that, that binds you in marriage. That's great, but it isn't what the writer means. What the writer means here is this. Look, one is not wise. Two is better. Three is best. And the more, the merrier. And the Old Testament collectivism was only an idiot would do life alone. Who would? They used to make jokes about people that didn't ask for help. It was just, it was something that was hilarious. Who would do that? Who would be like that? And um, if you think about Hevel, that this, this thick rope was a way of navigating through a life that was difficult to see, difficult to get your hands on, difficult to perceive and fleeting and unpredictable. So this three chord strand speaks of doing life together with others to get you through um, a life that isn't always easy. Does that make sense to you? So then we continue with that and we go on to Jesus. So the Old Testament logic was this. Uh, the more the merrier, do life with others and only an idiot would do life alone. Okay? And you've got those scriptures to show you that. Made in the design of God, we're one another. And then we get Jesus. Now Jesus is a member of the Trinity. Is he not? He is. He is the Son, Father, Son and Holy Spirit. And he comes down to earth. Well, that's okay, isn't it? Because he's got his dad and he's got Holy Spirit. He's got his two mates. They aren't that far away. So, um, so yet he finds others to do life with. And Jesus gives us the best human model of how to manage our one another lives. Okay? Because what are we going to do? What am I going to do? <laughs> Get to know all of you intimately. Are you kidding me? You're overwhelming. I'm overwhelming. Even if all of you collectively try to deal with me, I'm, I'm needy. I'm hard work. But Jesus provides this beautiful model of how to do life. So um, what does he do? We know he's got his God. And we know he spent time, he would take time for himself. He would take time alone. And he would take time alone with his father. So those are given, all right? But let's look at how he did life with others. He did three things. He had a core of close friends. He had a group of disciples. And then he had a crowd he was called to, to teach and love. Now, each of his expectations in those three arenas was different. This is our model, guys. You've got to get this, because I, I didn't get this until about five years ago, and I wondered why I was knackered trying to be there for everyone. I was trying to be a good friend for everyone, and it was just too much. I couldn't do it. And then I learned this, and I thought, oh, I get it. I get it. I don't have to be there for everybody, but I do have to build close with some people. I have to. So Jesus had a core. Jesus' core were Peter, James, and John. He chose them, gelled with them, was vulnerable, accountable, affectionate, spent most of his time with them. 
He showed them who he really was. Matthew 17, 1. He took them up the mountain of transfiguration. He showed them his spirit body. I mean, they were freaked out. I would be freaked out, to be fair. Do you know what I'm saying? But he, he, was, he was so close to them. He wanted them to know who he really was. That's really vulnerable. He took them to um, the first raising of the dead and said, don't tell anybody. Actually, it wasn't the first. It was Jairus' daughter, and it's unclear whether it was his first. I think it was his second raising of the dead because I think he had one before that. For some reason, he took everyone out. That He said, everyone go out the room. I just want these guys with me. And then even after he'd done it, he said, please don't tell anyone about this. We don't actually fully know because it's between them. Not even public knowledge. It was between them. Whatever happened there was between them. And he said, please don't tell anyone what you've, what you, what you've actually seen. What happened? Did he cry? Did he fail? Did he miss it? Did he get in a fluster? Did he get stressed? Did he have a panic attack before it all happened? We don't know. But they guarded him in that. And then he took them to the Garden of Gethsemane when he was at his lowest, most painful, weak time. When you are at your very, very lowest, you must have one or two people that have access to you. Because I became a Christian at 20, I'd pretty much stuck with blokes, and that was either in relationships or friendships, because they're easier, that I found them easier less mean, uh, more honest. And then suddenly I realised that I was... <laughs> Who said that? <laughs> what you like? But I realised that that, that, that that wasn't a healthy model. Uh, and I had to build friendships with girls. And it took me a while. But I'm so glad I did. I've got some brilliant friends that have seen me through all sorts of highs and lows people that love me, that have seen me, what I'm really like. I remember during my, I think I mentioned, I, I ha, you know, I do have a little bit of a mental health tennis match sometimes. Sometimes I can bat it away, sometimes it hits me on the head. And, um, and I was coming out of a, a bout of burnout. It take me out a couple of years, hadn't it, Val? And I had to do my first preach. I was terrified. Satan was screaming in my ear that, what the heck are you doing? You're a hypocrite. You shouldn't be on that platform. There's people that could speak far better than you. What the heck have you actually done for the last two years? Do not do it. And they're going to see through you. They're going to see how rubbish you are. And I said, Val, will you come with me? Do you remember? And it snowed. And I thought, brilliant. I've got out of it. The Lord's got me out of it. And, uh, and, um, and, and it was real. I was like, get in. Thank you, Jesus. I'm off the hook. Really panicky and in a terrible physical state. Really didn't want to do it. Having to really fight. And then the, the, the leader at the church phoned me and went, she went, oh, you'll have no problem getting here. I've just driven in from near you. I live near you. Oh, no. Val came with me. And do you know what? Val, Val is my honesty friend. Right? She will always, she loves me enough to tell me the truth. And it wasn't my best preach, was it, Val? It wasn't. Um, no, it wasn't. But um, she was with me. She fixed her gaze on me so that I could look at her while I was fighting to, to do something that I hadn't done for ages. And, um, and she lovingly said, well done. Absolutely great. 
And then when I said, how did I do? She said, I'll tell you next week. Because <laughs> she knew I needed time to recover. Because I'd actually won. I'd made a big win. If I hadn't have done that, I wouldn't be here. I wouldn't be here doing this. So I, I needed somebody with me. I could have done it alone and no one would have known in the room. I could have absolutely blagged it and everyone would have thought, wow, Ali's amazing. But I wanted somebody that knew me in that low moment. Jesus had a group of 12. Groups are great. Groups grow us, but they're not meant to be our core. You don't have to hang your dirty washing out in a group setting. <laughs> you know, you go, I promise you, you grow groups are lovely and you're meant to chat and debate and learn together. Like groups are disciples. Disciples are learners. We learn together. It's great to discuss stuff in it and disagree and, oh, no, I'm not sure. Oh, hang on. Those are all great. That's a group. And Jesus had a group of disciples, but he didn't take them everywhere and he didn't show them everything, but he grew them and they grew by being with him and they grew each other. Okay, the Bible was all about everybody brings their own perspective and collective, collective revelation was the order of the day in those days. Okay, and then there was the crowd and the crowd. He was called to the crowd. He didn't avoid the crowd all the time. He knew he had to navigate the crowd. On a Sunday, we're in a crowd of people, aren't we? And uh, you can't get around everybody, can you? You can't know everybody's name, but you can choose to be welcoming and respectful and friendly. And that's as much as you need to do. Possibly do the odd miracle. Jesus did that as well. As you walk in past, you know, heal a few lepers. That's always good on a Sunday morning. But there were three distinct groups that Jesus did life with. Okay. We'll just skip on to, and then, and then, so from this one another lifestyle that Jesus lived, all right, he gives us a new command. So as well as we know we've got the three, love God, love others as you love yourself. And he says, love one another. He says, I'm commanding you. Now, I tell you what, there's a big difference between, I'd like to pose this to you. I'd like you to think about this and I am commanding you. Usually, when the house is a tip and we've got visitors coming, I will sit the kids down and go, right, this is it. I am commanding you. We're going to get this done. You do that. You do that. You do that. Jack, you're on bins. You're on oovering. You know what I mean? We are going to... I make sure they get it because it's really important that my visitors do not know that our house is normally minging. No complaints, no arguments, I don't care what else you've got on, that's got to be done. And Jesus is saying, whatever else you do, this has got to be done. Love one another. And that word, one another, is a lalen, okay? And we talked about this, it's the Greek word. It's used a hundred times, 47 instructions. Now, this is the Molotov cocktail that grew the church, actually, in Acts. But we're going to look more at that in session three. Oh, I'm so excited about session three. We've got three hot potatoes, and I'll tell you about them at the end. But um, this one another living in a biblical collectivist society was what absolutely kept people well, happy, peaceful, fulfilled, and the church growing. And um, there are five themes to this one another. So if you were to break down the hundred times it's used, 
and the 47 instructions, they fall into these five categories. Love and unity, i.e. we can't be one another without love and unity. Humility and respect. It is humbling when you've got to tell a friend who thinks you're amazing that you've botched it up. I remember, you'll find this hard to believe, but I did do it. Thankfully, I didn't get turned into a pillar of salt and I didn't die on the spot. But one of my conversations once with Sue Jordan in the early days of our leadership here, and I'd already spotted her as a good friend. I knew she'd be a good sister to me, uh, full of integrity. And uh, we would pray together. One time I was with her, I exaggerated something to the point of lying to make myself look better. I know. So, I felt terrible. Because I'd agreed with God that I wanted her to be a really close friend, I knew that if, if our friendship was going to grow, I, I, I'd have to fez up. So I remember phoning her. I didn't know her that well, but I knew our relationship was meant to be. And I, I phoned her and I went, Hi, Sue. She went, Oh, hi, Ali. You know? <laughs> I went, I've just got to tell you, I lied when I said that. It wasn't completely true. I wanted, it to, I wanted myself to sound better than I really am. So she went, oh, that's all right. Well, can you not give me a little bit more on that? I've just taken me like a week to make the phone call. <laughs> it was the right thing to do because you cannot build friendship, not true core, one another friendship. So we've got to get this, a mutual, which basically means I choose to hold dear what you hold dear. I didn't really think it was important. If it's important to you, it's important to me. Okay? I will, I will join you in that. I'll carry that with you. I'll, I'll support you in that. I've got your back. I, I've got you. You won't have to stand alone in that. And that is the essence of one another. Okay? So, we're going to go to how-tos. I know you sat for ages, all right? So, um, what I'm going to do is I'm going to change it up a little bit. Mr. Dan Yates, will you come to the floor, please? La, 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 la. Okay. So, what we're going to do is this. We are going to look at the three aspects of one another. And we're going to look at how to be accountable... How to be accountable, how to sharpen each other, and nah, 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 how to be encouraging. So, I had a couple of comments whoop, a couple of weeks ago, and they were from people that were well-meaning, but they said, oh, Ali, it was really good to like get in touch with my feminine side, you know, as if this teaching on well-being is just for women. So I found the most manly man out of all the men that could talk about well-being. So, so what, what we're going to know, he's a manly man, isn't he? He's a manly man. <laughs> he's down here, Brandon's going, oh, not sure. Because what we want to do is we're, we're going to introduce these subjects and then we're going to let you in your twos and threes chat through how this works for you. And the first one that we're, the first one that we're going we're gonna to hit you with is be accountable. Okay, now this will be in your notes. There are two key scriptures that help you 
using the word one another, be accountable, they guide us. And the first one, I've gone for the blinking jugular first, okay? And it's this, it says in James 5.16, therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. So confess your sins to each other. Uh, so Dan, let, let's get a bit of background on you. Now, I did pick you for a reason because obviously word has got back to me that you actually, A, you're as passionate about this one another lifestyle um, as I am. You head up the Iron Men uh, ministry in one church, which is amazing. And um, just tell me how, sort of what was going on in you and why you realised there was a need for core friendships with blokes. Um, okay, so um, just tell you a very little bit about myself that might surprise you. Um, uh, people often think I'm just one of these super confident people, I'm an extrovert. When you said that earlier, you know, the extroverts and the introverts, um, you'd be wrong. Because naturally, I'm an introvert. That might surprise a few of you, because when I was younger, I was always the one who didn't really want to be seen. Um, I was always worried about how the people thought about me. Was I going to say something that's going to make me look stupid? I'm not going to get involved in a conversation because I'm going to say the wrong thing and everybody's going to say, oh, look at him, and all that. So what I've had to do is, is over time, is, is to push myself. Um, and over time, I've learnt and I've become and I've developed into somebody who I would probably say is an extrovert now, generally. Um, but it wasn't naturally me. So don't always assume yeah. that actually what you see is, is the reality of where people have come from. Um, when I look around other guys, I'm always seeing guys that are on the fringes, um, that uh, maybe are struggling to fit in. Um, uh, and, and it's very easy because I used to be one of those to kind of gravitate to those people and try and keep an eye out on those guys. Um, and sometimes it's not always those guys. My weakness is it's sometimes it's the guys that appear to be, if you like, in the in crowd or the popular ones. And actually, they need this just as much as anybody else. Uh, and that's a really important point. Um, and I think looking around, you start to realise, actually, if I got problems and if I struggle on my own, then I guess other people do too. Um, and that seems a really obvious statement. And I think that's the heart of where it all started from, is to say, actually, do you know what? If I'm struggling, there's probably guys that I know that are struggling too. So what did you do? So, um, <clears throat> so it started off with obviously just with friendships, one-on-ones, um, developing um, just intentional um, getting together, if you like, uh, with one or two guys. And that kind of developed into a handful, a small group of us. Um, <clears throat> and it was... Um, it was, it was deliberate to actually get together to say, actually, can we be honest with each other? Yeah. Uh, and initially, we were all spiritual about it. Let's get in the word of God together as brothers. Loving all it. That, you know? And we thought, yeah, it was really impressive to do that. You know? And then we realized, actually, when we got together, we all had issues. Um, and so, um, <laughs> I know, surprising, yeah, I know. But, um, yeah, so we, you know, we start to realize when you, when you spend more time together, you start to see warts and all, if you know what I mean. Um, so you start to see people's downsides, their struggles, their fears, their weaknesses. Their, um, and, and actually, um, it's, it's really good because when you've got three or four blokes together, when you can start to trust each other, and that's the real key thing, that actually what goes on 
in Fight Club stays in Fight Club, if you want to use that expression. So what goes on in your group stays within your group. Once you know you can trust the other guys, and actually you start to find you can open up a bit more. And I found as I was opening up, other guys were opening up too. So have you, in that safe place of friends that you've built trust with, have there been times where you've actually confessed stuff you're getting wrong? Yeah. Um, you don't have to say it, obviously. No, no, okay. oh, so I won't go into it tonight. Wrong so. arena, wrong arena. Yeah, yeah. This, is, this is the big group thing. This is the yeah, crowd, yeah, this not is the, the crowd, core. Okay. not the core. No. Okay, cool. So, um, so, so yeah. But I what, mean, does it, what does it feel, so without telling us what you did, what does it feel like when you know you need to do that? What does it feel like before? What's it feel like afterwards? I, I suppose initially, for the first time, it's like, oh my goodness me. I mean, how long can you keep a secret? Sometimes it's something that's really like a real dark secret that you've got, something you struggle with or whatever. Um, you can live with that for years and years and years. And, and those things have an ability to eat away at you. Yeah. Um, so I suppose initially, the first time, it's really difficult to get yourself to that point to actually say, it's like the first time you jump off a top diving board. Yeah. You know, you don't just go on the, well, some people do, but I didn't just kind of go straight to the top board and jump in. You start jumping in off the side of the pool. So... Yeah. I suppose there's that initial fear, but the, the moment when it's out, it's like, oh, well, that wasn't so hard, really. And actually, when you've got a group of guys that yeah. really care about you, yeah. um, the responses then actually are kind of like, oh, yeah, I struggle with that as well. Yeah. Not, I won't name the guys because I'll put them on the spot otherwise, wouldn't it? But, you know, um, it's, I, I struggle with that too. Or, or, oh, I didn't know you struggle with that. Oh, I can help you with that. I, you know, I, yeah. yeah, don't worry about it. It's fine. We'll just pray together and we'll, we'll just encourage each other. So it was that initially fear yeah. and hesitation, but a kind of an instant, wow, what a relief. And, and I love that because you pick on the Galatians 6.2 point, which says, carry each other's burdens. And in this way, you'll fulfill the law of Christ, which is love God, love yourself and love, one, love others as you love yourself. So what's interesting is what you're saying is by letting them know the stuff you're carrying or that's weighing you down, you're actually allowing them to help you carry it. Yeah, absolutely. Amazing. Um, yeah, I mean, the old expression of problem shared is a problem halved. Amazing. So, you know, there's some, there's some element of truth in that. Yeah. But actually, when you've got guys that will take that on board and on your behalf and actually walk with you as you learn to overcome yeah. those things, particularly if it's a habit, yeah. um, that's massive to know you're not the only one carrying it, yeah, that sure. you've got someone who's actually alongside you, helping you and cheering you on. Yeah. Or kicking you on, depends on who you hang around with, really. Absolutely. Kicking you on is a good one as well. We'll see that in a minute. Right then, what I want you to do, get in your twos and threes and um, just chat through whether this is challenging you or confirming that what you're doing is good. Does that make sense? Because sometimes you go, oh, this is great. I'm doing this. This is making me feel um, good that, that I've all, I'm already doing it and uh, I feel like I'm a good friend or whether there's some things you might need to do to alter that. So get to, with people you trust. I told you to sit by people you trust. So give yourself a couple of minutes and then we'll come back. If you need to go and get a drink as well to avoid the conversation, you can do that too. <laughs> Brilliant. Okay, then. I am glad that you will have started a conversation and I have purposely interrupted you because the fact that you feel you have more to say means that you can build some good core friendships and continue the conversation. Because as you know, you do your learning here, you do your life out there, yeah? yeah. So we can learn about how to here, but doing it is when you leave 
this room. That's awesome. So make note of the conversations that you want to continue. Okay then. So accountability. So just to reiterate, accountability is best served in a trusted group of friends that you've built. Yeah? Trust is built. So I'm not suggesting that you are accountable to every single person in this room. Do you understand? You have to create a safe space. Jesus had a core of three people. They were his true accountability. His disciples were his pupils. That was his class. And the crowd was his calling. Yeah? His core was his accountability. So don't feel you have to go any further than Jesus did. Thank you. Okay, so the next one, we're moving on to sharpen. Now, sharpen's an interesting one. Um, this is brilliant. If you notice the picture, it's of spurs, and it's because Hebrews 10, 24 says, and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Spur. Come on, you. No. It's not what it means. It means dig, provoke. I want to provoke you. I want to provoke you to be everything you're meant to be. I'll talk to you about how Simon lovingly will turn around and say, Ali, it wasn't what you did. It was the fact that you're better than what you did. You can be better than that. Now, not everyone can say that to me and live. <laughs> okay? <laughs> but somebody who I know loves me, is committed to me, is my one another, has laid down their life for me on many occasions. I'm going to listen when he says, you're better than that. You're better than that. Um, Larry Montague was my favourite headmaster. He was the headmaster at St Peter's um, High School up to about probably five or six years ago now he died of cancer and his funeral they were queuing out the doors and can I just say it looked like hundreds of kids that had probably got expelled while they were at school were queuing outside the cathedral to go to his funeral and his best friend when speaking to him said Larry lived by this in his work and uh, this 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 um, value in his work and it made him the headmaster he was. Now, I only knew the headmaster he was. I didn't know the code he lived by or worked by. When I heard it, it made perfect sense because it was the man that I saw. And it's this, Larry would say, I don't presume to teach anyone anything unless I first love them. He knew every kid's name. He was personable, don't know how he did it, he used to do the car park, he used to park the buses, get his coat on. He was everywhere. <laughs> he was, wasn't the people that know him. But when I heard that, it really challenged me. When I can spout off teaching, I presume to teach you nothing unless I first love you. Love is the foundation for spurring one another onto good deeds. Um, so that's amazing, isn't it? Uh, uh, Colossians talks about admonishing, warning with all, you know, with all wisdom. It basically says, you know, if you see someone doing something that they shouldn't be doing, you need to warn them that that's going to hurt them if they carry on. You're going to do that in a group? You're definitely going to do it in your core. It's mandatory. Yeah. Possibly in a group. You've just got to think through your motives. 
Yeah, you've got to think through, maybe you know somebody that knows them better that could warn them, or you may just want to step out there and sensitively go, look, I know I don't know you well, and there may be 101 reasons why you're doing this, but to me, from my position, I'm just a bit concerned you're going to hurt yourself if you do that. Yeah? You don't have to go, Brandon, I think you can be better than that. <laughs> you have disappointed me, living below what God has made you to be. You know what I'm saying? I have not earned the right to say that to Brandon. Uh, so yeah, there's ways of saying it. So back to you, uh, Dan. You talked about you used a phrase, "kick up the bum," which I think probably um, describes sharpen quite well. So, so how do you sharpen each other uh, in a, in a group? Do you, you know, are you polite? <laughs> I think not. Um, polite. Mm, that's interesting. Worried about it. Um, we're honest. Yeah. Um, uh, but I think what you just said, to emphasise that point about um, having the right to say something to somebody. Um, so I've got guys uh, that I'm really close to that can say anything and they know they can. Um, and that's not an open invitation for anybody to come up to me and say anything. Because <laughs> we I can always. <laughs> I would not mess with him. I so we can always have a chat down. around the back outside. You can let me know it there if you like. No, joking, joking. <laughs> But, um, but no, it's having that, that, that core, like you say, it's absolutely essential. Um, I'm going to reference a couple of guys. Yeah, so um, Chaz is one of them, uh, what am I saying? So go to Chaz over there. Um, so we, we, we met together for quite a while, Chaz and uh, Paul Krez and Yemi and uh, Ed. Um, and you know, we, we spent a lot of time discussing all sorts of things. And we actually had another friend of ours at the time who was going through some real issues and really struggling. And we, we managed to kind of bring him in and help him through that too. Um, but I remember one particular time we were just chatting and, you know, as you do, we got moaning about stuff and grumbling about people. Do men moan? I know, yeah, I know. But anyway... Swiftly moving on from that, and then uh, I always remember actually because it was a kind of a little bit cringe worthy moment, but it was absolutely spot on. Chaz went, Hang on a minute, guys, should we be talking like this? And we all went, uh, uh, oh, uh, um, oh. And we all felt a bit embarrassed, if the truth be known. Um, I look at Ed because Ed was, had the same reaction as me, and actually, Ed's response was right. He said, Mate, you're absolutely right. Yeah, let's stop that right now. And so that was a, an essential thing because if you're not careful, that can happen, when you, particularly when you're friendly. It's very easy to go into that kind of area you shouldn't go, which is the grumbling, the moaning, the gossip, if you want to do that. And, and it's essential that that doesn't happen. Charles is bold enough to say, actually, do you know what? I'm just going to say it. Yeah. And he was right. Um, times I've asked people's opinion, I say, oh, guys, really good idea about this, 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 this. And, and I'll say to Paul, what do you think? And he'll say, that's rubbish. Um, you know? And um, he says it not very often, because I don't very often have rubbish ideas, but... <laughs> I say it far more to Paul than he does to me, just for the record. No, no. no. Um, but I can take that from Paul. And, and the reason is because of the love we have for each other. Um, you know, um, another example of sharpening is, is literally that kind of someone inspiring you. Yeah. So, I mean, I met up with Yemi the other, the other evening and we were just chatting. And Yemi shared with me, and I've asked him, he's okay with this. But Yemi's um, uh, kind of goal for the year, if you want to say word for the year, is to become, the, 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 to become a better Yemi. Love it. And when he said that, I was like, whoa, I felt like my word got a bit smaller. Um, but actually, do you know what? I've been reflecting on it ever since. Yeah. And, um, and, you know, so I'll say to Yemi now, that was really inspiring. And actually, it's provoked me to say, Brilliant. I should be a better Dan. Yeah. 
yeah. too. Yeah. So, and it all comes through the same. They're all different yeah. elements of sharpening, but yeah. all those things have come through that relationship. Ed's constantly asking me questions about things, um, usually like what's two add two and things like that. Um, <laughs> but he's getting there. Um, so uh, he's so, he's an electrician. So yeah. let me ask you a question because uh, I know that I know that girls can uh, slip into the sensitivity trap where we yeah. think. If we're honest, we may hurt them, so we choose not to say it. But by not saying it, we might be denying them an opportunity to be better. Um, so does that happen to you guys, and um, how do you get over that? Um, I would say it doesn't happen now. Um, but I think, again, because we trust each other enough, yeah. and because we respect each other enough, um, to do that. Um, that's why I kind of jokingly sort of said that isn't open license for anybody to say anything yeah. because that can't come from just anyone. Yeah. Um, that's why it's so important to have those groups. Yeah. Um, I, it really is. Trying to do life without groups like that is really tough. Yeah. Uh, and like you said earlier, it's not the way we were made. No. You know? So, um, yeah, I think it's absolutely essential. So if you haven't got a group, find one, make one, start one. Sorry. And I encourage you, have the guts to tell the truth to the people that you love, but give people permission. One of the things I remember doing, because like, I'm the leader of the church, but my, good, my best friends are in the church. So then, you know, I've had so many leaders go, oh, you can't have friends in the church. It's wrong for a leader. I'm like, yeah, all right. Uh, unlucky. Uh, but, um, but what I had to do was I had to say to them, I need you to be honest with me. So I gave them permission. I invited them. I said, please, please, I, I need you to love me as Ali. Yeah? Because yeah? that's who I actually am. Sitting here isn't who I am. It's what I'm called to do. Yeah. Who I am is, 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 you know, needing to do life with people. I'm just a girl asking a boy to love her. <laughs> Quote from Notting Hill, if you didn't know. Okay, so, uh, so you know, um, Ali, Ali needs people that, that love her. And uh, this is just what I'm called to do. It's not who I am, and it is different. We mustn't confuse that. So that's awesome. Right, okay. Um, i just got to give you this one, though. I wrote, have the guts to tell the truth. And listen to this, Proverbs 24, 26. Blooming love this, and it's NIV. So it's not even Passion Translation. It says... An honest, I know, but you know what I mean, everyone's into that at the moment. An honest answer, listen, listen, an honest answer is like a kiss on the lips. And you know, we watch those films and you're longing, like me and Abby used to watch these love films, we go, kiss, 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 you're waiting for the kiss. That beautiful... An honest answer is like a kiss on the lips. How wonderful is that, you know, and you, the, the times that we desperately need someone to just tell us the truth. And you either have the people that are like, oh, it's amazing, it's amazing, it's amazing. And then you have other people like, oh, I don't rate you very much, you're not good at anything, and, you know, I'm going to make you feel bad about yourself. And then, but having that lovely honesty that can only come from love is fab. Right then. Um, okay then. How can one sharpen one another? You've got a minute to chat to your core peeps that you're sitting by, and then we'll come back to the last point. Okay, off you go. Okay then, guys, that's it. So we're just going to have a look at the third, which is always encourage. Now, sharpening each other 
and accountability are best done in trusting relationships. That works best within your core. We've already talked about the fact you can, you can pop across to the group in terms of sharpening, especially if you see something and you feel you need to speak up, but it, the way you say it needs to be according to your level of friendship and the trust that you've earned with that person. But encouragement is for everybody. It's good practice with people, okay? So let's have a look at some of this. Always encourage. Uh, Thessalonians says, build each other up, okay? 1 Thessalonians 5.11. Hebrews says, encourage one another daily, as long as it's called today. So if it's today, encourage. Are we in yesterday? Are we in tomorrow? Are we in today? Well, encourage then. That's awesome, isn't it? So do you reckon that was like a bit of a humorous light? As long as it's today. Uh-uh. You know, it's like one of them Bible jokes. Okay. So that, I'll have to ask Dr. John Andrews that. He'll know the, the, the cultural context. Um, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Encourage one another daily so that while it is still today, as long as it's today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. And you think about it, right? If this is for the crowd, then everyone that comes through that door on a Sunday is worthy of encouragement. Whether you're their core, their group, their crowd, they're worthy of encouragement. We don't know what people carry when they come in, whether they're leaders or not. And isn't it wonderful to think that somebody could come in with the cares of the world on their shoulders? Nobody encourages them. So as they leave, Satan chucks that, see, no one cares. Hardened. Yet they come to that door, they've got the cares of the world. Marion Collins gives them a big old hug. A young mum who used to come to church years ago who drifted off, who came back scared of what people would think. So the thought of what people would think stopped her coming for ages, even though she wanted to come back. Eventually, terrifiedly, stepped across the doors into the church, was greeted by Marion, threw her arms around and said, welcome home. Just beautiful encouragement truth. Um, Marion is a flipping jewel in the crown of this church. We absolutely love you. So, amazing. So, how do we encourage? Um, you, why don't you, you had that scripture that you wanted to bring to us about honesty. So bring that and then talk yeah. to us about how encouragement works for you. Cool. I mean, yeah. this, this is Proverbs 27. It, it kind of relates to the previous point more than anything, but it was, uh, you can trust a friend who wounds you with his honesty, but your enemy's pretended flattery comes from insincerity. Quite an interesting version of it, but it was that kind of the old expression that came from the Proverbs, which was better the, the, the wounds of a faithful friend than the kiss of an enemy. Um, so that is, again, back to what we said earlier about that, that trust yeah. and actually being honest with each other, because yeah. actually ignoring the issues in other people is not loving them. Amazing. What a great point. And for those of you that want to write that down, that's Proverbs 27, verse 6. So encouragement. It's an amazing thing, encouragement, really, because everybody can do it. Yeah. You don't have to be some great learned scholar. Mm -hmm. You don't have to be an extrovert. 
That's right. You can be an introvert and still be encouraging. Um, simple thing is, like you just said, a Sunday morning is a classic example. It's a great opportunity. Even just go up to someone and say hello. Yeah. That can be an encouragement. Because that person might have come in here thinking, nobody cares. Yeah. Nobody notices me. I just come in, I just go. And no one cares. You know, just that simple little thing. Just go up to someone and say, hi, my name's Dan. Yeah. Nice to see you. Hey, how you doing? Mm. You know, uh, and, and don't be freaked out by it. Another point that we said earlier about people be surprised about me. So uh, someone sort of said to me once, oh, it's easy for you because, you, you know, you could just start a conversation with anybody. And, um, yeah, I can talk. I know that's a shock. I know I can talk. <laughs> and I can join any conversation and I can dip in and out. That's fine. But ask me to go up to somebody I don't know and start a conversation yeah. and yeah. all the fear comes up inside yeah. me. It's all that. Yeah. What if I go up and say, hi, my name's Dan. They go, oh, hello. Yeah. What do you do next? Yeah. I'm like a right idiot, aren't I? Yeah. You know, so so people think and assume that because I can talk a lot, that I'm, I can find it. I find it really easy to go up and, and start a conversation. Yeah. And that's not true. I have to push myself even now. I have to push myself every time. And it's the same with encouragement. If you're one of those people saying, "Oh, well, I've got nothing to encourage people with," that's not true. Mm. You really have. Just acknowledge them. Just say hello. Just. Yeah. You know, just do something. Don't just ignore them and hide behind your fear. Yeah, love that. That is an absolutely brilliant point. Uh, and I think it's about, so I think it's Greg. I think when Greg, uh, Greg uh, Wooster teaches the interns that every time you meet a new person, you've got is it three seconds to say something nice about them. Um, so you give yourself this three seconds, the three second rule, and you, you know, you, you, you give yourself three seconds to, so what that means is as you're approaching somebody, that even if you don't know them, you can, you can be ready with what you can say. It's like, Beth, I love your sweatshirt, but I think your hair's amazing, I've always wanted long curly hair, and like, you're blessed with it, that's fantastic. So what I've done is I've thought about what I'm going to say in, in my walk towards her, I'm constantly thinking of how to encourage people. I'm like Dan, I go blank. I'm not an extrovert, even though I love talking. I can talk in my zone, but Sundays are my nemesis. I get quite anxious that I have to go and speak to people. And of course, people are used to me here. So they think that uh, if I'm doing this here, I'll do it there, but I, I, I struggle. I tend to go blank, I, uh, names go blank. Uh, remembering who people are I know them but I can't remember their name and then I think I can't talk to them they're going to expect me to know their name and I can't remember their name and so we all go through stuff but it will not stop me encouraging because I can encourage you without knowing your name yeah which is good I asked Beth what her name was didn't I Beth and yet I've spoken to you probably quite a few times but I couldn't remember her name so I asked her that before so I'd look good (laughs) well I just while um, Holly's just gonna just play a little bit of something in the background on the guitar, I'll just take us through the last slide on core friends. Friendships take time. Do not um, set your expectations to instantly have them. I did not instantly have core friends. I learnt them in Bedworth, the church I was at before I came here. So I was 35 when I had to step out of my comfort zone and build good friendship. I was terrified. I was terrified that uh, if, if I showed them who I really was, they'd think I was rubbish. Um, and, and they didn't, but I had to learn that. Um, it took effort. I went, I, when I walked in, I thought everyone's going to invite me to dinner. And they didn't. Or, hear me, the wrong people did. I don't want to be their friend, they keep inviting me for dinner. 
So find the people you want to be core friends with and invite them for dinner and go out for a coffee. It takes effort and it takes time. And if you're sitting here thinking, I don't have, uh, I'd, I'd love core friends, but it's terrifying. Then say, by the end of this year, I'm going to build using that model, uh, using those ingredients that by the end of the year, I'm going to have one person that I've, I've learned to be a bit more honest with. Have we all had that friend that has spilled our secrets? Yes, trial and error. Sometimes you win, sometimes you lose. But you have to do it, it's mandatory. One another is mandatory in Christ. You won't be well without it, and you won't be Christ without it. So accept that, you know, some people you, some people you want, you think, I really want them to be my friend, and they don't want to be your friend. <laughs> Horrid. Or you get that, I, I remember having this best friend complex. I used to think I needed a best friend. All girls have a best friend and it's, it's a myth. I have a core of good friends. There's no one, one. The one is Christ. He's my one, okay? I have Simon, my one husband, by the way. <laughs> but, but my friends, you know, all I'm saying is it's the exception rather than the rule. You're too much for one person, guys much for one person it takes courage to do this especially when you're more comfortable to live on your own uh, with your own issues and keep them to yourself and God and God says it's not good enough um, takes wisdom learning how to spot good friends you will know them by their fruit if, if, they, if they take you out for coffee and they've preached on the platform and you spend your coffee slagging off the church and not a core friend for you, not healthy, all right? You will know them by the fruit they produce and the fruit they produce in you. Dan talked about that, okay? Uh, be realistic, have realistic expectations. I'm going to have 10 by the end of the year, I'm going to tell them everything. It's just Jesus didn't even do that. So that's not going to work. It took him three years to have three friends. And... Uh, Friendships are a process. I, I love this. Um, it's, a, it's a team formation um, uh, theory by Bruce Tuckman, and it talks about uh, how teams are formed, but it goes through four phases. And I'll, I'll just say this because in life, this is actually how friendships form. Um, forming, storming, norming and performing. And forming is where you meet someone for the first time. You go, I really want Amy to be my friend. So I'm going to show her my best self. I'm going to take her out for coffee and I'm going to make sure that we keep the subject really healthy. And I'll wear something really nice. Not too nice. Not so I look over the top, but just nice enough. And, um, and, I, and I think, gosh, Amy, like, I really... And Amy's going, do you know what? Ali's love... I go, Amy's amazing. I knew she was good, but oh my goodness, she's just amazing. And we do life together and maybe one month and one coffee goes to six coffees and I've known her a year. And then suddenly I see more of her which means eventually she sees more of me and I can't keep my best behavior up forever and we hit a clash where suddenly I see something in her that I don't like she slags someone off and she falls off my pedestal of this forming that I thought she was amazing and suddenly she's not so amazing and and so I have a choice do I back off and say she's not who I thought she was or do I push through and say she's worth it? 
so in love with what we've built. I say, Ames, I, I don't know how to handle this part about you. It, it shocked me a little bit. If it's sin, I confront her and say, I'm just a bit surprised. Um, I know you're not perfect, but I, and she has the chance to talk to me. Well, that's who I am. If you don't like it, oh, okay then. Or we have the chance to talk about it and I have the chance to love her as she is. I discover that she's not always happy. I thought she was always happy. She's the friend that makes me happy. And then I get a phone call where she says, I'm feeling really low. And that lowness lasts two or three weeks. So I'm thinking, oh man, she's not a happy friend anymore. <sighs> Maybe I just not see as much of her. But I, I've chosen to build with her and she's chosen to build with me. So we, we go through the storm together and I learn who she really is the ups and the downs and she learns who I really am the ups and the downs the fact I can say the wrong thing as well as saying the right thing in the same sentence and she loves me anyway she goes I know that Sally's foibles but I, I'm, I'm, I've chosen her I'm going to love her anyway and so life becomes quite normal we don't have to try hard we norm norming and we get used to each other and we chill out, we kick back and we can go on holiday together because I don't have to worry about being on my best behaviour when she's around. And, and then something amazing happens. And this is what Bruce Tuckman talks about performing. We suddenly join about something we really care about and we boss it because we're doing it together rather than on our own. And that's what God wants for you. He wants you to master life by doing it with others. He wants you to be really well, really, really well by doing life with other people. So um, when I was, uh, I was going to tell you about the next session, but I won't. Um, when I was praying about tonight, I feel that um, we know we've been doing the fear series and that we are in a fight. We are still in this fight. Just because the fear series is over, our fight is not over. And for some of us, we need to fight for this lifestyle. We need to fight to build this for our own well-being and for the well-being of God <laughs> and the church. Um, but anything that feels heavy often needs to be brought to God first. And I just feel that um, some of us just need to maybe just say, Jesus, I'm yours. Uh, I've got a lot of stuff I need to handle this year. I've got, feels a bit, some of it feels a bit heavy or a bit overwhelming or a bit tough. And God says you don't have to do it on your own. Remember, I am your one another. And I want to help you carry this stuff. And um, that just starts with us bringing it to him, saying, God, this is, I really want to do this this year. Will you help me? And God will. So why don't we just stand? I'll just get Holly to just sing a bit of something over us. You can sing with her or you can just listen to her. So only for a few minutes. But I want you to give yourself to Jesus in whatever it is that you're wanting to achieve. Just say, Jesus, I'm yours. And, uh, and then I'll hand over to Louise and she can, she can finish the night. Jesus.